0: You're listening to Amplify Arts Alternate Currents interview series. Alternate Currents opens space for conversation, discussion, and action around national and international issues in the arts that have a profound impact at the local level. This interview series is just one part of the Alternate Currents blog, a dedicated online resource linking readers to topical articles, interviews, and critical writing that shine a spotlight on artist-led policy platforms, cross-sector partnerships, and artist-driven community change. Visit often and join the conversation at amplifyarts.org backslash alternatecurrents. We recently asked Amplify's 2020 Indigenous American Artist Support Grant recipient, Steve Tamayo, if he wouldn't mind sharing some of his thoughts about what it means to cultivate creative practices in rural spaces and how those practices connect revitalizing and preserving indigenous cultural knowledge to ecological justice. So my name's Steve Tamayo, I'm a member of the Rosewood Sioux tribe. Uh, in my language, we identify ourselves as the Sichangu Lakota. Um, I come from, uh, my family comes from a small community called Milk's Camp on the Rosebud Reservation. And so uh, I was born and raised here, but um, my mother grew up in that area. And so policies carried out by United States government, you know, um, this is how she was able to make her way off the reservation to the Omaha area because of the Relocation Act of the 1940s, 50s. And so, after she uh, made her way out of the boarding school, um, she had to go find her siblings. And so, my aunts all left that. Um, they they left the letters at the, the farmers, the neighbors, and so that's how they were able to find each other after the relocate or after the boarding school system. You know, and so um, you know, I heard these stories of, of atrocities. You know, and. And the boarding schools and the effect that it had on uh, Indigenous people, and so um, I was I was kind of fascinated by um, just being Indigenous, you know, and so, but what do you do with that, you know? And so I always asked her all kinds of questions, and and um, it was it was quite amazing for her to be able to actually retain as much as possible. Um, because of what she had to endure in the boarding school system, you know, residential schools. And so um, she kind of filled me in as much as possible. And then uh, pretty much after I made my way out of the military, I I took off up to Rosebud um, just to learn, you know, to focus more on on this way of being. And so um, while I was here in the Omaha area, I was fortunate enough to... um, come across some elders here in the community that you know had different talents had different interests and so I was seeking out all these different elders because I wanted to learn as much as possible and so understanding that and the importance of uh, retaining this this these cultural teachings is kind of started my little journey you know and so then I had uh, uh, twin girls who actually wanted to dance and and I was actually a single dad, and I was just like, I, I didn't really know how to help them within that powwow circuit, you know, in that circle. And so, uh, once again, you know, I, was, I went to my, my mother and was asking her this and that, but, but that information was taken from her. And so, um, but we had connections up north. And so, I would go and, and seek and, and find family members, you know, in our community that was able to help us. But I wanted to learn more. And so um, that's when I started seeking, you know, all the, the elders that that kind of knew this way of life. That's, that's kind of like the, the path, I guess, the pathways in, in which led me to finding these specific elders. And so um, when I moved to Rosebud Reservation, it was, uh, it was about me taking uh, the language classes that was offered on my reservation at uh, Sentegleshka University. And so, you know, because my mother had, um, was able to retain some of that information, some of the language, but you know, they took her when she was four four or five years old, you know? And so that was, uh, it was prohibited. They weren't allowed to speak the Lakota language. And so, She lost a a lot of that information, but when they took her, you know, she didn't speak uh, a lot of English anyway, you know, and so that's how powerful our our language actually is that she was able to retain that, you know, even 15 years later. And so understanding that whenever I had questions, you know, of course, she was the first one I would seek and then, um, but then I moved to the reservation. And I started taking classes and one of the first classes I took was uh, a Lakota language class, you know, just basic one-on-one. And so in there, you know, I, I wrote this essay and I handed it over to my, my instructor, my language instructor at that time. But in it, you know, I told him that I know how to make headdresses and bustles and do this featherwork, you know, that that um, I was able to learn from the elders in the Omaha community. And so they were like, "Oh my gosh, you know, no, you know, nobody knows how to make these uh, specific headdresses. They're called a, a headroach." I started writing um, lesson plans and documenting this, you know, and, and creating my own curriculum. But with the help of the stru- instructors at uh, Saint University, Spotted Tail University on my reservation, you know, they kind of guided me in, into this way of being and um, documenting, you know and creating lesson plans and, and, but incorporating the language as well. And so when I was on my reservation, you know, I was teaching in in English and Lakota. And so that, that was just, that just blew me away, you know? And so, uh, but to to be able to have access to the instructors at that time, because uh, most of my teachers now have, you know, passed on. And so I think I have like uh, three elders that I still rely on because of their their cultural knowledge you know and so you know as as time goes by you know that's what i'm trying to do now is you know i'm making a, a rawhide container and so these are just containers that we would store our feathers our food or clothing you know whatever you need you know just like containers today you know but um the only materials that we had back in the day was rawhide and and uh the deer skin, you know, to, to use as lace and to bind up the rawhide after I punch the holes, you know, or drill the holes today. And so this is how our, like our boxes are made, you know, I'm, after I'm done, you know, I'm going to finish my, uh, there's, uh, there's seven containers, but we always make them in pairs. So I have to make 14 rawhide containers. And so I've used, um, six cow hides so far. And so I've used two deer hides, you know, to bind all these, these containers up. And so after I'm done, you know, making them this week, then I have to create the lesson plans that coincides with them and explain what is the purpose and function of this. And then um, last, you know, is to explain the symbology, the symbols that exist on, on the containers. And so this is, you know, typically back in the day was a woman's art form to make the raw containers that they needed within her own lodge, you know? And so I'll put that into my, my lesson plans, but I have to make a video of each container after this is over with. So when I ship this out to our nice students, you know, and to the teachers that, and, and the students that be, they understand what is the purpose and function and usage of this specific container. And then when they look at it, you know, what is the symbology, you know? Because I incorporate that, I incorporate numerology. You know how many um, design elements do I incorporate? Because everything has to be specific, and then I incorporate the color concept. You know these these rawhide containers are very specific to uh, specific regions and specific tribes. You know, and so these are primarily Lakota. Um, Dakota rawhide containers, but if I was to make containers for like the Omaha or, or the Winnebagoes, you know, the whole chunk nations, you know, they have a different uh, design concept, you know, but they're tribe specific. And so, you know, being the cultural specialist for the NICE program, you know, the Native Indigenous Center of Education is, this is what my job entails, is explain the symbology of the plains and, and the tribes within, you know, specifically the the four tribes of nebraska and so once you get into uh, how complex our societies our clanship you know the symbology the color concepts the numerology you know the 10 different regions you know when i talk about moccasins you know what region am i speaking of you know and so this (laughs) egg gets really complicated and so you know to be able to be adjunct at, at uno and to teach at, at uh, Metropolitan Community College, you know, is is I think it's amazing for me, you know, to to be able to pass on this information because I love studio art classes. I love hands-on, you know, and the the only way to truly understand this way of being is is just to get your hands dirty, you know. And so there's a lot of people that are. are well read but you know what's that book gonna do when you have a live buffalo in front of you you know what i mean and how do you process it and how do you tan the hide and make the bones and you know into the tools and games and everything that you need you know and so this is what i've been able to to bring to the table and so once again you know it's 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 a nice time it's the right time and so during my my little uh quarantine time period right now um i i can uh, the best way for me to spend my time here is is to, for documentation and to create as much as possible and so it'll benefit you know many generations down the road with our technology that we have access to today and so once again you know through uh, amplify arts and other programs that exist you know having access to to the Joslin Museum now because of Annika who who's who a gift to all of us in this city. You know, I'm really happy that she's here. You know, and the first thing I told her or asked her is if I could get into the vault, because I was trying to get into the vault for the last 25 years. And she's like, sure. So she opened it up to not only to me, but to my students as well, because I went them to see, you know, the technique that was utilized back in the day, and and what's different, and look at the materials, you know, because it all has a story, and so this this is, you know, for us, you know, incorporating our creation stories and and all of our stories of our designs and color concepts, you know, it's it's more meaningful, and so for our kids to see, you know, works of of even their their relatives you know great grandparents great 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 grandparents i'm just like this is amazing you know but there's not many of us that know how to make these items anymore and so even when i scrape out you know um when i scrape out my my buffalo hides you know to brain tan them it's a process of of scraping off the the membranes the epidermis that you know the awful the fat the meat everything off of that hide stretching the collagen fibers when i when i frame up my buffaloes on their frames you know to open up those pores and then you know i i still use that old process of uh brain tanning and so i cook up the brains the fat the water and that's how i break down those those uh you know the enzymes and everything else and in, in those collagen fibers and so it's a process that that many people you know once again they they just don't do anymore and so i think i'm the only brain tanner in, in omaha look what's happening today you know and so because of uh you know because of the pandemic because of uh what's going on in the packing houses you know and so you know they're they those are getting hit, hit hard, you know because of that confined space, you know? And so understanding that, um, we just purchased um, five uh, hogs last week. And so, because everybody's, you know, the farmers can't afford to feed the hogs anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, it's getting to that point. And so I'm like, well, I know how to butcher. So, you know, people has been picking me up left and right. Can you show us this and that? And so, you know, I had my own little team of of, uh, butchers, you know? And so uh, we were able to to harvest, you know, at least five of the hogs, and we're uh, in a week or two. You know, we're going to be um, cutting up and butchering uh, cattle next, and in the fall time, I'm going to target the buffalos. And so there's a timeline for everything, you know. And so not only am I uh, harvesting all this different types of meat, but um, I'm going to start uh, harvesting a lot of our plants. And so that would be next. In all of the indigenous languages that exist, animal doesn't exist, that word. And so we acknowledge, we say, these are the beings that roam the earth. And so, but that can be the trees and the plants, you know, and how they pollinate and how they, there's constant movement, you know. And so that's how important, you know, of a different indigenous mindset that we're trying to pass on to our generation, you know, because that was taken away from us. You know, what they had to endure in the boarding schools, you know, this self-identity was, was just totally wiped away, you know, that concept of understanding the importance of when we say oyasi, that we are related to everything that exists, if it lives and breathes, but that's a plant. It's our our winged relative. It's our water relatives. It's our four-legged relatives. And so we identify them as relatives. Even the plant nation, there are relatives. And so before we can go harvest, you know, and this is one thing I pass on to to my kids. You know, for the last few years, I've taken um, students from OPS and taken them to my reservation. And before we can harvest, we have to pray. We have to ask forgiveness because we're going to take its life, these plants, even when we have Sundance, you know, and we take that tree down, you know, there's a ceremony. And so this is something we pass on is how interconnected we totally are to everything that exists, lives and breathes, you know, if it needs that water and look how important water actually is, you know. And so um, when I talk about sacredness, you know, what is truly sacred to us, it's it's The food that we need to nourish our bodies, that's truly sacred, you know. You don't waste food. And this is something we try to pass on, right? You don't, you know, back home, you know, there's a lot of places where you don't want to bring like water balloons. We don't play in the water like that. You want to play in the water, then jump in the creek, jump in the rivers, you know. And and look how simple that is, you know, because if you use these water balloons and what if the birds eat them and this and that, you know what I mean? And so, look what we've done to the earth, you know, this pandemic, this is an awakening, you know, indigenous people have been affected with diabetes and and we have heart problems and, you know, all these different diseases that never existed amongst our people. And so now we're dealing with it and, and it's new to us, you know, and so it's, but it's had an impact, you know, just like cancer. But once again, to look at our reservations, you know, and, and what did they did, what did the government do with waste, you know, like nuclear waste, you know, they put it on our lands. And so there's reasons why, you know, our water has been contaminated, you know, and, and what they brought there and what they've unearthed, you know? And, and so this is one thing that, that we have to deal with day in and day out that people don't understand, you know, like, on my reservation, you know, there's 40,000 plus people there. But we only have one hospital, you yeah. know. We only have, it has like 22 beds. And I know that we have like two or three ventilators, you know. And so if if it hits our reservation, because it's on lockdown right now. So if it hits our reservation, you know, people don't understand the true impact it would have on, on that rural setting, you know. And so... um, the nearest hospital, besides ours, is, is hundreds of miles away, you know? And how are you gonna get these people there, you know? And so that's how um, scary it is. And so once it hit the, the you know, Diné, you know, the Navajo reservation, you know, they're they're always telling everybody, you know, how important it is to wash your hands and this and that. But how do you wash your hands when you don't have plumbing? They don't have, you know, half that reservation, they don't have water access to water they have to go to the wells and and they cont- fill up their containers and bring it back to their to their homesteads you know and so once you bring these things up people you know they're like what what do you mean they don't have water you know i know people in rosebud you know that don't have water don't have electricity still have dirt floors you know and so people don't understand what exists on our reservation still today you know and how hard it is to live there And so that's why it has the impact that it it does. And so I'm glad they're on lockdown, you know, and even after they open it up, I'm still going to, you know, allow time. And so I can go in, you know, with a small um, little crew and harvest what I need and document and get out of there without being around anybody. And that's how isolated my my little community is. And so I can take all the back roads in and, and do that document and then get out of there so I don't harm anybody, you know? And so um, I just go up there and, and but I'm very careful on how much I harvest because, you know, we have to share. And, you know, I've spent the last 20 plus years in, on the Rosebud Reservation. And so I know where all my plants are there. I don't know where they are here. And so it's gonna take me a long time just to walk it, you know. but so I, I plan on walking a couple hundred miles up and down the river on both sides you know because i'm looking for specific plants and so the plants that i'm looking for you know are going to serve the the medicinal you know and once i find these medicines when is what type of medicine is it and is it the roots or the plants or the leaves or you know what i mean the stems you know and when is it most potent and so there's specific are uh times to harvest our plants for medicinal purposes, but also for spiritual purposes and the edibles and then the drinkables, you know? And so um, it's gonna take me a while. And so I have this, I'm putting together a team of uh, people for us just to go hiking and, and go find all these different plants that we can use for those four specific purposes. And so, you know, being a, a indigenous um, artisan, I do a lot of work with uh, um, the KXL, Bold Nebraska, fighting the the Dakota Access Pipeline, you know, and so understanding how important that is. And then they called upon me because, you know, I was just kind of minding my own business on my reservation when uh, Bold Nebraska found us. And they wanted specific art to identify Indigenous people. But, you know, today it, it's an alliance, you know, and they called it the Cowboy Indian Alliance, you know, I thought it was kind of cliche at first, but when we all actually all got together, I was like, hey, this is really cool, you know, because it encompassed, you know, all of our, our farmers, our ranchers, our, our green groups, you know, and passing this on into what we call the, the climate kids, you know, because we're bringing an awareness to the next generation. And so... You know these kids from from all of these different groups have have just been with us, you know, but it started out with a lot of a lot of our our leaders of faith, you know, and the power of prayer. And so you know, our mission was to actually protect uh the aquifer, you know, which goes up into Dakotas all the way down to Texas. People don't know about that, you know? That's our water source, you know, for 10 to 15 million people, not including our, our crops and our livestock, you know? And so the, all these pipelines going and underneath the water system, you know? Like the Trans Canada, the KXL, you know? That pipeline and, and that tar sands was never gonna benefit the United States. And so this is an awareness that we're bringing, you know? It's the tar sands from Canada. They're they're building these pipelines, you know, to a refinery in Illinois, and so one thing they've been doing is going underneath our um, the Missouri River, and so you know this started in in 2008 with the KXL. 2010, that's when uh, Jane Kleb, you know, um, founded uh, Bold Nebraska, and she's the one, you know, that pretty much single-handedly. Um, united, all these different organizations. And so we've been backing her for a, for a long time, you know? And so Jane's the one that found me and asked me if I could help her create art, you know, for the protest, for the pipeline, you know? And so I've been to DC with her um, three times already, you know, protesting and then marching and bringing an awareness, you know? And of course, you know, we, we have the hecklers and the non-believers and, and you know, all these people. You know, even here in Nebraska, and they don't see the importance of our of our water system. You know, and so because of the KXL, my involvement there, you know, I was uh, kind of summoned to go up to Standing Rock, and so that that was life changing. You know, the people who who made their way there, because you know, there was over a million people that actually made their ways um, to Standing Rock. You know, on both sides of the Cannibal River. And so um, my job and responsibility there was, you know, to be an instructor, a teacher at a school that we created, because there was a lot of, uh, there was just, there was kids everywhere, thousands of kids, you know. And so we started our own school there, because their parents became the people on the front line. And so, you know, our school was actually like a, a safe haven, you know. And so we were the caretakers of all these kids. And so, you know, with my background of teaching and incorporating um, this educational component of revitalizing and, and, you know, reconnecting with our ancestral teachings, I just went up there and partnered up with, with um, some of their, you know, elders that we incorporated, you know, because I, I, I think I'm still a young guy, you know, that... When older people come up, you know, I'm just like I I let them take the floor because you know that's their lands, that's their territory. You know, of course I can go up and teach, you know, but if they have something to say, then by all means, you know, here's the floor. So, um, but that's how I travel um, throughout the country. You know, you have to be aware of whose homeland, you know, territorial lands that you're actually on because those are specific teachings, and so that's how important this is. It changes everywhere you go, you know. So we are all in the lands of the Umaha people. And so, you know, anytime I I give presentations, I always make that that, you know, I I identify the homelands of who we, we are standing on, you know. And so if there is any Umahas in the room, you know, um, that, that just shows it's a sign of respect. You know, and so once you do that, you establish that relationship, you know, because um, you know, as indigenous people, you know, we don't have friends, we we make relatives, we have a, a really strong kinship that exists. And so um there was a couple little grandmas who um adopted me into the Omaha tribe, into the into their families you know and so because of ceremony we call it hunkatapi. this is a, a kinship it's it's an adoption and so from that time on you know i became their son you know and so but i i look at all of their little relatives now because now they call me uncle they call me grandpa you know because we established that relationship many you know many years ago and so that was kind of like my buy-in, you know? It, it kind of puts people at ease because um, I am very respectful of the Umaha people and their teachings and, and their land base, you know? And so I always acknowledge that first and foremost. But then, you know, I look at their their designs, you know? I look at their clothing and and not only today, but I look at, you know, archival photos, you know? I find as many books as possible to read up on. And so we're not all the same, you know. There are hundreds of tribes in the United States. And so anytime I go any place, I always try to read up on on the people whose, whose lands, ancestral lands those actually are. Because I'm a Lakota, you know, we are the third largest tribe in, in the United States. But that doesn't mean anything, you know. And so when I travel, you know, uh, I say travel abroad because, you know, I, I go into different territories. And so, you know, just be mindful of that. Be mindful of, of um, who is who is allowed to speak, you know? And so there's, there's certain times where women aren't allowed to speak, you know? But there are certain times where the women are the true leaders of, of that band, of that tribe, uh, be, because of European thought and philosophy, you know? Um, indigenous people back in the day kind of backed off on that, you know? But clan mothers are are very strong and still exist today. And so I'm just mindful of these things, you know, and so, you know, we we not only are gender specific, but age specific. And so quite often you'll hear a lot of indigenous relatives, you know, get up and before they start, before they start speaking, they'll say, um, you know, I want to, you know, look at the elders, you know, and because we're not experts on anything, you know? That mindset is, is, is once again a European thought, you know? And so that's why our clanship is, is so important because of roles and responsibilities and duties amongst the people, you know? And so like the Umahas, you know, if I want a, a drum, I have to go to a specific clan and ask them to make that drum. If I want a certain song, I have to go to a different clan and ask them, because, you know, like the bird clan, the bird clan, the birds, you know, in the morning at five o'clock, you know, they're the ones that are harmonizing. And so because of these melodies that they bring to the two-legged, you know, this is how our songs were created long ago. And so we follow that, that these old traditional teachings, you know, of specific uh, roles and responsibilities and duties. And so we knew that, that, that the pipeline was going to be coming, we prophesized, you know, this black pipe that was going to go underneath the ground and, and into the waters and this and that. And so when that pipeline came into, you know, across our land, because they never consulted to, to bring that pipeline, you know, across our lands, they just, it's federal trust land. We're just going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's about big business. It's about money, you know, and as indigenous people we're like, where we they're just they're standing up you know and they're like just we don't want that here you know that pipeline that was gonna go across uh standing rock it was going underneath their water intake but the first route was north of bismarck and it was going to head west and totally bypass the reservation you know so nobody said anything but then the farmers and ranchers are like no we don't want that pipeline on our land because it's going to leak. And why is it okay to leak on the reservation? Why is it okay to leak underneath the water intake, you know? And so that's what we stood up for. You know? And so um, the KXL which started once again in 2008, you know, here comes Bold Nebraska in 2010, you know, and then another like 2015 2016 here comes uh, uh standing rock and the no dapple you know and even the name you know dakota access uh, or like dakotas and lakotas never gave you access to cross our lands you know and that was a slap in the face you know once they first named it and just said this is what we're going to do we changed the route we're going underneath underneath your water intake and so that's why we had to standoff, and so that standoff calls cost billions of dollars, you know, because we stood up to the people. We stood up for the people, I should say, you know, and so, but during this whole time, you know, because of, of climate change, because of, you know, fossil fuels and this and that, you know, it's just been an awareness. And so for all the people to come together to stop this, you know, and so here's a story, you know, for the, the KXL that people aren't aware of is how are we going to stop this, this pipeline from coming across the, the farmer's land in Nebraska? And so Jane and, you know, there there was a nice handful of, of people. They got together and brainstormed and they pulled these seeds, these historical seeds that were collected way back in the 1800s, you know, from the punkas when they used to reside here in Nebraska. And so they took these seeds to the Department of Agriculture in DC. We went to DC and and harvested some of these beads, brought them back to Nebraska and planted them with the historical significance. And so today, today we're calling these, you know, the sacred seeds of the punkas. And so because of that and the historical significance, it stopped the pipeline from coming across that land because of crops. And I was like, holy, you know, it it was just unbelievable, you know, that they could brainstorm and and come up with these different ways and means, you know, to utilize the plant to save our water, you know. And so, you know, even coming across historical, you know, lands that that belonged to the punkas before they were removed from Nebraska long ago, you know, it still had an impact 150 years later. So I'm just like, man, that's pretty powerful you know, no DAPL, that Dakota Access Pipeline, that movement was actually started by the kids. And so I don't know if you're aware of that or, or if most people aren't aware of that. And so these kids, you know, ran around the reservation up in Standing Rock, they're they're, uh, in, in our language, you know, they're members of the Hunkpapa Lakota. And so when you look at the Lakotas, you know, there's seven bands and so I'm, I'm one band, you know, from Rosebud, South Dakota. We are Sichungus, the Thai people. Hunkpapa, you know, are the guardians of the entrance. And so um, my next door neighbor down in Rosebud is, is, that's where Pine Ridge is, you know. That's where the Ogallalas come from. And so understanding that on the lands of the Hunkpapa, you know, the, the kids ran around that reservation and, and had thousands of people sign this petition to stop that. And so they wanted to take that petition to the Army Corps of Engineers, and so those kids actually ran from Standing Rock. They ran all the way to Omaha, Nebraska, and so all along the route they were contacting and and um, the different tribes, the different nations from Standing Rock to to Omaha, to uh, you know all these different tribes were collectively gathered to to take care of these kids when they came across the reservations, you know? And so it was a movement started by by kids and bringing an awareness, you know, once again. And it just showed that that they're sick of it, you know? They wanted to stand up. They wanted to acknowledge that we're still here. They wanted their voice to be heard. And so that's how powerful that movement was. And so when they ran all the way here to Omaha, and we had huge gathering here, thousands of people. And so you know what those kids did? And all along the route, they they gathered more kids from different reservations. And so all these kids actually ran from Omaha, and they they ran to Washington, D.C. And look how powerful. Just think about how powerful that is. And so those kids ran all the way from Standing Rock to Omaha, from Omaha to Washington, D.C. To, to take tens of thousands of signatures, you know, to the, the Army Corps, Department of the Army Corps Engineers, the BIA, everything else there, you know, Department of Interior. And so that alone, you know, acknowledge you know, our, our survival. Acknowledge our cultural teachings because all along we utilized prayer. You know, all along it was it was based on ceremony, and so you know what happened at Standing Rock when the people stood up. You know, it truly brought a worldwide awareness of of the injustices once again. You know, and we we haven't had that kind of a movement, a voice. You know, since the Wounded Knee takeover in nineteen seventies. You know, and so for. For our kids to to lead that it was it was just amazing, it just blew me away and so however you know we could help reinforce and and you know be a part of that movement, that's what you know a million plus people decided to do, and that's why we made our ways to stand in rock and so it it was a beautiful time, it was a very powerful time that you know I'll never forget, and so because of that, you know um it just kind of put us put us on the map, you know, to bring in an awareness once again that we that we are still here, you know, and what happened to the indigenous people, and so it, it gave us our voice. It gave us this this ground to stand on, and looking back at treaty rights and and once again the injustices against the indigenous people of this land, you know, and so for us to only be one percent of the population of the United States today, you know, we we have a very powerful voice and say so and so because of our reservation lands you know and what exists on there because of mineral rights and water rights you know and so it's 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 just that time for us to stand up you know and so once again you know this this worldwide pandemic you know has brought an awareness to climate change you know and and the injustices of all these fossil fuels you know companies and, and bad government decisions and this and that you know and so um for us to to still be here you know even in this rural setting because you know it it gave us a voice and so people who've never heard of the hunk papa you know they know who they are nowadays and so um because of national news you know and so finally you know it, it gave us that 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 ground to stand on once again